Welcome to another edition of Making Money. Ron Hebert, the financial coach, a retired portfolio manager. That means he managed people's money, is joining us. I'm Gord Whitehead, a retired broadcaster. Ron and I like talking about finance, and we're trying to pass along a little bit of financial literacy. I I think it's fair to say, and I, I can't make a blanket statement, Ron, but over the past five, ten years, you know, I did a little work after I got out of radio. I did a little bit of work in retail and in, in the wine and spirits business. And, you know, watching people not be able to make change <laughs> drives me crazy. More and more people are using cash again these days for whatever reason, if the conspiracy theories or whatever they follow. But so many young people have no financial knowledge. They, they don't know how to balance a checkbook. Nobody knows what a checkbook is anymore. So where do we start here? Well, uh, this show is called Practical Ways to Teach Your Kids About Money. It's simply that. We had a listener to our show, and they sent me a letter uh, with some of the things that they did that they found successful dealing with their own kids and asked me if I'd do a show on this. So I took their ideas along with some of the ideas you and I have talked about and incorporated them into a show that has, I think we've got 14 points here. But if you want to teach your kids about money, and frankly, most kids are illiterate when it comes to money. Uh, I was in uh, a retail store the other day, and I had to literally help this kid count change out for me. They could not. They could not do it. They, 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 out of a $20 bill with uh, $14.30, they could not get to $20. And so, you know, it's just depressing when you see how little uh, kids know about investing and you watch some of the, the websites like Reddit and things like that where kids are making huge investments in things they know absolutely nothing about. And so it, it's, uh, it's terrifying that we've allowed our kids to grow up in an environment where they know absolutely nothing about finances. So uh, this show is going to give you some very practical tips on how to make your kids more literate. So does it start with giving your children an allowance? I mean, that's what we did with our kids when, I don't know, I can't remember what age they started at, but I gave them you know, a couple of dollars a week or whatever it was, right? And from there, is that where you start? That's a very good place to start and give them the freedom to make some of their own spending choices with it. So don't come down on them right away if they want to do things that you disagree with because uh, we often learn more from our mistakes than we do our successes. You know, the old story, we don't change when we see the light, we change when we feel the heat. So make them feel the consequences. If they do something stupid with their money, don't give them more money to be stupid with, but uh, give them a chance to learn and, and having a small amount every week where they can make some spending choices, that's a very, very good way to do that. A lot of people say, okay, we've got a list of duties around the house. You're going to have to clean out the dishwasher after it's cycled, or you're going to have to go out and rake the leaves, or you're going to have to cut the lawn. Don't pay them for every chore, right? You don't want to reward them for everything they do. No, I mean, don't you think, Gord, that some things are fundamental family duties which need to be done whether they get paid or not? I mean, I look at all the chores I had to do around the house uh, and still have to do around the house. I'm not getting an allowance for it. It's just some things that have to get done, you know. The the bathrooms have to get cleaned. Meals have to be made. Uh, floors have to be vacuumed. Lawns have to be cut. There are certain jobs which are, 
considered just fundamental duties for making a family work. And you shouldn't have to pay them for doing those things. It's called taking responsibility. If you have to incentivize them with money, frankly, then you're taking away responsibility because responsibility says you're going to do things because you've got to do them and it's your job and you've got to suck it up, buttercup, and do it whether you like it or not. Another one is don't pay for everything. We've instituted that in the Whitehead family. We like to travel as a family when we can, and we're, you know, geographically dispersed. We try to get together when we can. Uh, you know, pandemic kind of halted that a little bit, but I, I lay it out for the boys. I say, okay, look, we're taking care of this and this. You guys have got the rest, right? I'm not paying yeah. for everything. Yeah. No, you want to make them earn a percentage of the total price of an item, even if it just means uh, them using a portion of their weekly allowance to do that. But, you know... You see parents where the kid comes and puts their hands out. I need uh, 20 bucks for a movie tonight. I'm, uh, I need a, n- a new set of uh, uh, roller skates and I, uh, or skis or whatever it has to be. And there's no negotiation about whether any of this is their financial responsibility. They just expect the parents to dole out the dollars. Well, that teaches children to be privileged, to think that they're exceptional when they're really not. We're not exceptional people. We're all part of the human race, which means we've got to make our own way. And that sends a very bad message if you're out there paying for everything. Give them opportunities to make some extra money. Do you try to do that, too? Well, we always did. And, uh, you know, there's opportunities like, you know, you can uh, to... uh, Fence needs to be painted. (laughs) A fence needs to be painted, which which we did around our place. And uh, certainly... Uh, we had uh, opportunities where I gave them an opportunity to, to vacuum and polish my car. Usually I was out there helping, but they got uh, some extra money to do that in spring or fall, uh, rate, yard cleanup. Usually I paid them for those kind of things. So I did give them opportunities, or like I say, if there's special things that you're doing, like, like painting a fence or whatever, uh, those special opportunities were... Uh, the ones that I would help them and and pay them for it. But there again, you know, when you get someone to come and paint your house, you usually have what's called a holdback. In other words, you don't pay them the complete thing until the job is done to your satisfaction. And the same thing is true with your kids. If they do a, a, a half-hearted job and leave a mess, well, don't pay them for all of it or even any of it. You know, you've got to reward them for putting out high quality work and getting the job done. What about rules for allowance and earnings here? Well, there's two rules. We'll talk about the first one, which I call the 90-10 rule. And that rule is for allowance and earnings. And you give them 90% for spending and 10% goes into savings or an investment account. And you're strict with that. You make them sure that uh, 10% of it always gets put away for savings. And if you start that early, they're just going to learn that uh, when they're, they're, they're doing, they're thinking about how they're going to spend their money. They're thinking about spending the 90%. They're not thinking about spending the 10%. And when you get older and you've got a job, your mind automatically calibrates and thinks about, well, here's 90% of my earnings. Here's what I've got to, after tax to spend. And that 10% automatically gets put away. It's a good habit to develop early in life. That's kind of a wealthy barber tip, isn't it? I think yeah, Very pay, much so. Pay yourself first, right? Yeah. Very much so. Okay. So w- what about making savings visual? Well, for younger kids, 
put the money in a clear jar where they can actually see it accumulate. Kids are very visually uh, motivated. And so if you have a jar and you see that jar, a clear jar filling up with money, um, it, it's going to motivate them to save more. For older kids, not a bad idea to sit down with them and experiment with an online savings calculator. If you've got uh, money at any of the major banks in Canada, you go to their website and they'll have savings calculators, which show you how much if you put away a certain amount today, you're going to have in the future. And it's just 20 minutes with kids and just say, look, I want you to put into this calculator, if you put away $5 a month starting when you're 15, how much you're going to have when you're 65. And uh, those numbers blow them away. And so it's a good way to teach kids, especially older kids, because if you experiment with uh, different savings amounts and rates of return, you can see how dramatic a difference both can make. So you talk about taking it one step further. You talked about the 90-10 rule. You have another one here, too. Yeah, I call it the 80-10-10 rule. And, and not only are you teaching your kids to save by using this rule, but you're teaching them to become uh, a good member of society, and this teaches them the civic responsibility, and the world doesn't revolve around them. And 80-10-10, 80 they have for spending, 10% for savings. And 10% goes to a charity or worthy cause of their choosing. And like I say, you know, the world we live in, especially with social media, is so focused on what I'm doing and my life and this. And by taking some of your funds and focusing them on helping someone else, it just helps them to realize that the world's a lot just a, a much bigger place than just their little spot in it. So you could almost take them on a field trip to one of these projects that they might help out, right? And let them see firsthand what their money's doing. Yeah, we used to do this with our kids, and this was some of the charities that we were involved with. And this will allow them to see firsthand the good that their donations are contributing to. I mean, it's, it, it's you know, you can read about it third party. You can go to their website and see pictures. But there's nothing like going on a field trip and seeing money in action where it helps poorer people or um, you're going and, and, and uh, delivering groceries or, or you're taking someone to a doctor's office or you're, you've got Meals on Wheels or whatever it is, you take them with you and they just see the needy people in the world because here again, uh, we live in a very, very privileged society and if you grow up in the bur- burbs, you just ought, usually don't see people that are in a lower socioeconomic class than yourself. So taking your kids out and showing them what the real world looks like is very, very helpful. You know, I recall, Ron, with, uh, with our two boys, and you know, I was involved with Santa's Anonymous for so many years when I was in radio. I remember taking them out the first time, and they weren't that old. I'm going to say they were like maybe 12 and 10. The looks on their faces when some of the homes that we went to to deliver toys, it was an awakening for them, right? And it stuck with them, too. Yeah, so here again... You, teaching kids about money is more than just uh, a, a selfish to get rich as fast as you possibly can, even though you, you certainly want to teach uh, financial clarity so that they can make good decisions. But you also want them to realize what the world is like around them. You know, uh, a good example is, you know, kids are very unrealistic, have a very unrealistic view of money 
from watching movies, TV, or social media. And there was an accounting firm that looked at the last three or four James Bond movies and just calculated what an income you'd need uh, to be able to support that jet set lifestyle with uh, Aston, Martins. <laughs> yeah. Aston Martins and $10,000 suits and private jets and, and all the stuff that he does, which is in, you know, thousand dollar bottles of Bollinger. Um, and you know, you know, you realize that, well, $10 million a year isn't realistic for most kids. Some kids, yeah, maybe it is, but it, well, you've got to point out to kids examples of, you know, the book that we recommended many times on our show, which is called The Millionaire Next Door. And that's the person we all know has done very well for him or herself, but lives a nice but low-key lifestyle and doesn't flaunt it. So un- unless you're there to remind kids occasionally that the world is not uh, work like a James Bond movie set does, where you can have this outrageous uh, lifestyle or Miami Vice or... or any of the modern movies where they all live like millionaires and they've got a salary of 40 grand a year. So occasionally you have to intersperse um, the the hype with a little bit of reality. What about education? That, uh, you know, not just financial education, education period, right? Well, higher education is generally the best and most profitable investment a kid will ever make. And, uh, you know, we used to, be taken to open houses offered by uh, Nate and uh, Grant McEwen and the University of Alberta and just walk them through the campus to the various faculties they thought they'd like to go to or the trades they'd like to see and just give them an opportunity uh, to, to look at these things and just help them see the opportunity and what it takes to get there. Talk to students, talk to faculty members. Uh, and I know it certainly helped motivate me to figure out where I wanted to go in life and, and put a bit of a fire under me uh, that I needed to get the grades and I needed to save some money for school and just uh, help me get some goals post-high school. Okay, we talked about this one, you and I, prior to starting the show today. Uh, you want to encourage them to seek opportunities to make money outside the home. I think back to when I was a kid, you know, delivering prescriptions for a pharmacy on my bike in the winter in Winnipeg. <laughs> Yeah. It wasn't my favorite job, but I got paid to do it, you know, and I had a paper route. Paper routes are kind of hard to come by these days because of what's happened to the newspaper industry. But, I mean, you see help wanted signs everywhere these days, right? Is it just because kids don't want to get off their duffs and work? Well, I think there's certain things that kids can do. I mean, DoorDash and, and, and some of the others where you're getting involved in deliveries. Um, I know when I was growing up... Um, I had contracts with four or five of the neighbors that in winter I would uh, shovel their walks and in summer I would mow their lawns. And occasionally I did some babysitting and uh, I did whatever I I needed to do. And I think those opportunities are still there, that uh, especially as as the population gets older, if you could have, uh, if you go around your neighborhood and you canvass some of the older people that are living there, uh, that are finding it hard to have the mobility to go out and do their lawns, well, you know, I think you could uh, you could have a very, very lucrative little business with just uh, a lawnmower and a bag and a rake and a shovel and uh, an edge trimmer and, and go out and take care of it. In fact, a lot of these people have the stuff in their own garage. and they'll, they'll provide you with the gas. All you have to do is push the machine over the lawn. Okay, what about having a resume? Well, here is something that 
that uh, I know we helped our kids when they went for their first job. We actually sat down with them and helped them make a resume. Now, when you're 15, you're going, well, I don't have any work experience. I don't have this. Well, yes, you do. Or when you're 16, you've babysat. Um, maybe you, you went and helped your uncle for the summer on the farm. Or, or, or maybe you had opportunities at school to uh, show leadership. Um, like you were, you were played in the band or, or, uh, you were involved in an outreach program at school or whatever you did, or, or maybe you were a good athlete or got good grades. Well, you learn to line those things up to help people, uh, that are looking at you size you up. Well, you know, this kid has, uh, is lifeguards during the summer. He volunteers at camps, does this, does that, even though if they're not paying jobs, show some initiative, uh, they show some initiative. And so kids automatically don't know these things and a parent needs to sit down with them and say look you've got this that on that you've done and you've got that that have done you know you're taking a first aid course all this stuff adds up in the mind of the reader that's looking at your resume so uh take some time help them with a resume it'll help them get their first job and uh then they start getting experience that they need to move ahead in life you have a recommended read for that right yeah, there's a book that I read when I just got out of high school, way, way back in the early 70s, called What Colors Your Parachute? And that book has been revised. I think this is the 18th or 19th revision of this book. And I found it's a very, very good book to help kids uh, understand what it takes to get a job in today's marketplace, how to market yourself, how to write a resume, how to write a cover letter, uh, things you need to do to make yourself look more attractive. Uh, so definitely uh, a recommended read. So there you go, some tips on how to help your youngsters with money, to learn about it, get a little financial literacy, as we so often harp on on this show. All right, next week we get a little more technical, Ron. Um, share dilution and stock buybacks. Well, basically, one of the things you have to be aware of is the valuation of your ownership position. And if you're not careful, this can be chiseled away from you by companies that issue more and more stock. On the other side of the equation, you can actually be helped because companies that uh, buy back shares, they it decrease the amount of shares out there, which uh, increases your ownership. So dilution is a financial term used to describe a situation where a company issues uh, so much new stock that it dramatically dilutes or reduces the ownership percentage of existing shareholders. So you can sit there, and frankly, even if a company's not doing anything particularly good or bad, if they're issuing lots of shares, it can make your ownership position over time disappear. So you have to be very careful about share dilution and stock buybacks and understand the mechanism behind them and how they can either help or hurt you. We'll fill in the gaps on that one next week on the next edition of Making Money. Again, if you have a question, you can reach us through our website, letsmakemoney.ca, or through cfcw.com. We'll also find our email access there, and we'll get to you. It might take us a while to respond if it's a question or a suggestion for a show, but we take them all under advisement. On behalf of the the financial coach, I was going to say on behalf of the revisionist financial coach, on behalf of the financial coach, Ron, I don't think I can hang that on you, my friend. <laughs> Ron Hebert is the financial coach. I'm Gord Whitehead. We'll join you next week. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. 
This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.